0: Hey folks and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light and this is the only place you need to be to hear all you need to know about police recruitment and once you're in the police, how to ensure that your career is both successful and fulfilling. So today I'm going to talk to you about being a detective. Now years ago you had to wait, honestly like six or seven years before you could even get the chance to be a detective in many forces becoming a detective was the most Gucci job in the police it was really hard to get in to that role but something really weird has happened over the years now so few people want to do it that they're having to go outside and recruit directly in to the cadre of detectives through a detective constable direct entry assessment and recruitment more than several forces are doing this now metropolitan police um uh, my guess is they're so desperate that they've even bent the rules a little bit because they've introduced this new london criteria so you've got to live in the london area to be able to join the police except for if you're going to be a detective in which case you could live in the outer hebrides and apply to join the metropolitan police so there's there's never been a better time that's what I'm saying there's never been a better time to join as a detective it is a great role I've served as a detective uh, worked my way up into special branch I've worked in a national drugs intelligence unit absolutely awesome role But what's happening now is that forces are having to really choose carefully who they bring into that cadre because they don't want to lose them. They want to make sure that they are the right sort of individual to be a detective. And it's not for everyone. You know, it's just like road policing you. It wasn't for me. Being a detective was, but not later on in my career. I had no desire to be a detective inspector or a detective sergeant. I just loved being a detective constable. So it's horses for courses. And they've got to make sure that they're, if they invest in you, then that investment is a wise one. And so what many forces have done now is have wrapped around the recruitment process a separate direct entry detective assessment. It's not just an interview. For many forces, you'll have an interview. Metropolitan Police, you don't. You just do the online assessment centre and then you move into the detective assessment. So there's all sorts of different ways of doing it. Most of the other forces will do an interview with you. And it may be a mix and match of. So I know some forces will ask you to do a presentation about a crime issue that's impacting on that force. Uh, Metropolitan Police ask you to do a written exercise where you have to prioritise a series of tasks, the sort of tasks that you may have to carry out as a detective, And then from that exercise, you move into a briefing. So they give you a crime scenario and you've got to brief a detective sergeant or a detective inspector as to what's happened, what the issues are and what you would intend to do. And I know from talking to some of my clients that like, one just last week said that the sergeant just sat back and said, right, you've got 10 minutes, go and that was it as blunt as that so you've got to be well prepared for this so in today's podcast I'm going to talk to you about a couple of different models you could utilize to help you through that process and if you want to find out more then please do see the link below to the Facebook group that's the blue light Facebook group that's just turned today 16,000 members Wow. Can you believe that? Over 16,000 members of the Blue Light Police Recruitment Facebook support group. That's just incredible, isn't it? It's not going to be long before we hit 20,000. So if you're not a member of that group, there's a link below or if you can't find a link for any reason or you're you're out and about, just remember Blue Light Police Recruitment Facebook groups. Search for it. Ask to join. Tell me why you want to join you be in the group part of that community. So I've posted quite a few things in that group to help you and if you want really really specialist guidance and advice then the interview course that I run is the one where you're going to find really really detailed explainer videos on how to actually manage all of these different tasks. So what I'm going to do to you I'm going to talk to you about a couple of models. One of them is how to actually do a presentation So if you've got a 10 minute presentation, you might be thinking, how am I going to fill 10 minutes? The problem you're going to have in a moment is, oh my goodness, how am I going to cut it back to 10 minutes? And then I'm going to talk to you about uh, a way of prioritizing different tasks. And I'm going to finish off with a model that you could utilize for a briefing. One that's going to enable the detective sergeant or detective inspector to just listen to you, watch you and think, wow, that was good. So that's what we want isn't it? We want to pass. And you may be thinking, does this not give me an unfair advantage? Well, no, it gives you a fair advantage because there's so many people out there who've got dads and mums who are detective chief inspectors or superintendents or detective constables or a brother or a sister or they know someone who's already in the police who can tell them some of these things actually not nearly as many things as I can tell you but um, so all I'm doing is I'm just filling that gap I'm creating a fairer advantage for you how does that sound a fairer advantage so let's take a look at the presentation first of all let's just say it's on knife crime so these are sort of things I'd think of this is not just you know the only thing you've got to do but the first thing about presentation is that you tell people what you're going to tell them and then you tell them and then you tell them what you've told them all right so three stages tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you've told them and what i do with this presentation is I, I, if for many forces they'll allow you to do presentations prepared them beforehand don't go into the world of creating 20 something powerpoint slides with loads and loads of words on them you're not reading off of the presentation. A presentation is just an aid. I've been using loads of photographs and quotes um, and perhaps some figures, but nothing more than sort of 15 to 20 words at the very, very most on each one of the slides. It's just an aid memoir. That's all it is. And it's just something to enable the people who are watching you do the presentation. Have something that runs alongside it that helps your presentation. That's what it's there for. You know, the primary purpose of a presentation, a PowerPoint, isn't, you know, the PowerPoint isn't the presentation. You're the one that's delivering the presentation. And if you're just reading off it, you're going to come across as really boring. I promise you that. So sort of things I'd look for is a nice, big opening statement, something that's going to grab their attention, some hook. And it might be something like, did you know that? One of the fascinating things I've found about knife crime is, so deliver some fact grab their attention and then say so what I'm going to do in this presentation is I'm going to talk to you about and then tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you've told them so some of the things you might want to think about is what's happening now at the moment with knife crime and I'm just using knife crime as an example as a uh, bad way what information do we know and what don't we know what are the possible causes and what would the consequences be if we did nothing about this problem How connected is this problem with other social issues? So if we think about uh, poor educational attainment, if we think about mental health, think about poverty, unemployment in the family, Uh, take a look at things like adverse childhood experiences. So how connected is knife crime with other social issues? How connected is it with other crime types? So are people involved in knife crime because they want to feel safe or is it because they're part of an organised crime gang? Or is it because they're involved in drugs? Or is there something else? So it's not just that there's knife crime, but there's causes of knife crime. And there's a relationship between knife crime and other crime types. Uh, Then I'd take a look at, uh, do a little bit of research on what's working at the moment. And what's promising in terms of what might work at the moment. And don't just confine yourself to this country, to the United Kingdom. Take a look at other countries like New Zealand, Australia, Canada being honest, I'd probably skip the United States at the moment Um, and a lot of other countries, I'd just skip them completely. But New Zealand, Australia and Canada, quite progressive police services, especially um, New Zealand. I've got a lot of time for New Zealand police and depending where you are in Canada as well. Uh, the Peel Regional Police, there's a, a police force in Canada that I've got a huge amount of time for. I think they're absolutely awesome. So take a look at the rest of the world as well. And then also take a look at research, what research is out there that, that, that is identifying the causes of night crime or what's promising, what the findings. And then you're going to present those new ideas, things that might work. And they're not going to turn around and go, no, 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 that won't work. What I want to hear about is, have you, you know, are you capable of looking at all of these different issues? I'd also perhaps deliver something about what you could do to help the fight against knife crime and other types of serious crime once you are in the police. So lots of stuff around early intervention, I think, would be promising. Um, Lots of stuff around working with other organisations. More organisations, charitable sector, third sector organisations from the community, community groups... Those are the sort of things that I think you should focus on as the ideas as to what would work. Capturing young people aged five so they don't become the knife crime victims or offenders aged 15. So that's the sort of thing I'd be looking at there. And you may be thinking, well, that's not within the remit of a detective. Well, why not? You know, you're still a police officer. You're not just there to go and detect crime. You've got a role as well in preventing crime. You know, Sir Robert Peel made mention of this in 1829, that one of your functions is to prevent crime as an alternative to detecting it. I'd much rather there be no crime to detect. You know, that's a success story. So there you go. A few things to think about there in terms of an interview. I hope you found that useful. Actually, even if you're not going for detective, this might be useful for you because there's quite a few forces ask you to do presentations. I know Derbyshire police want you to do a presentation on the importance of diversity and they want you to stand up and deliver it you know proper presentation some forces then decide they're not going to do him and then they reintroduce him a year later honestly the, uh, it's hard work keeping up with what each force is doing um, because they change their minds all their time so that's the presentation side of things uh what else have we got right yes uh the metropolitan police when they do this uh prioritization exercise they're going to give you so much information So many different things, and you've got to decide what is important and what is urgent. And remember, if everything is a priority, nothing is. So everything can't be a priority. If everything is a priority, nothing is. I heard a chief constable say that years ago, and it stuck with me. And there's something else that I think is quite good. It's from... um, uh, president Eisenhower from the United States uh, I can't remember which president he was actually honestly I can't even remember what his first name was was it Dwight Dwight Eisenhower that seems to ring a bell anyway he came he said once that things that are seldom important things that are important are seldom urgent let's get it right right so things that are important are seldom urgent and things that are urgent are seldom important so what he was saying is that there's very few things that are actually both important and urgent. And so from that, we can design something called the Eisenhower Matrix. Um, draw a rectangle or a square and just put two lines bisecting it so you've got four squares. And what we're going to do is we're going to populate each one of those squares with whether something is important. It's level of importance and urgency. And this is going to help you decide how to prioritize all of the things that are in front of you. So, when I say that something's urgent, it needs doing now. You know, we can't wait. It's got to be done now. And when I say important, it means it needs doing by you. Okay, so first of all, we're going to focus on the things that are both important and urgent, and we're going to put them in the top left hand box. Okay, top left hand box, important and urgent. Next, we're going to go down one box underneath, and we're going to look at the things that are urgent but not important. So these are things that need doing today, but not by you. So these are the things that you can delegate to other people. And as a detective, you need to be confident in de- delegating to other people, because you can't do everything. It's not your job to do everything. So you might want to be thinking about what what is actually within my remit, within my role, and what things could be done by other people. So uh, certain things that can be delegated, um, taking witness statements, you may not be able to do that. You may have a lot of witness statements that need to be taken. You're not going to do all of those things. So um, that'd be an example of something that you delegate to other people. Right, the next box. So we're going to the top right-hand corner now. These are things that are important, but not urgent. So they're things that you need to do, but they're not urgent, so you can diarise them. Is that a word, by the way, diarise? You diarize them, you put them in your diary, <laughs> put them in your diary. And those are the things that you're going to do tomorrow, next week. Now, by the time you get to tomorrow or next week, it starts becoming both important and urgent because you've given it, you've decided you're going to do it tomorrow because it may have a submission date by the end of tomorrow. So it's not urgent now, but when you get to it tomorrow, it will be. So make sure you get those things done. Now the fourth quadrant, the bottom right hand corner, these are things that are not important and not urgent. Now this is something that I was a strong believer in when I was in the police service. Um, It's not that it's not important and not urgent for someone else, it's just that it's not urgent and it's not important for the police. I'll give you an example of this, something that um quite a few police officers, actually loads of police officers complain about and bemoan about is the amount of times they get involved in mental health issues. So I'm not saying that the police shouldn't get involved in safeguarding and supporting people who are vulnerable, but when the first call about someone who has a mental health issue is to the police as opposed to, you know, people who do health stuff the doctors and nurses and paramedics, then I think we've started to swing ourselves in the wrong direction. So, um, I know, controversial, controversial, but I know there's a, I think it's in New Zealand. In this country here, we have triage cars, and a lot of police forces are really um, proud of this. There's a triage car, and it's a police car that has a police officer in it, and it also has a mental health nurse. So they can go to mental health-related incidents, and there's someone there that can support the police. Now, that sounds great. You'd be thinking, oh, what wonderful partnership working. But, you know, challenge the system a little bit sometimes. Is that really the way forwards? The clue is in the word health. Should the police be the primary responders to mental health issues? I'd argue not. And I'm I'm fairly sure it's either Australia or New Zealand. They do it the other way around. They have a mental health practitioner in an ambulance, in a paramedic's vehicle. And when they need support, they often have a police officer who will sit in that vehicle. So what's on the side of the vehicle is paramedic as opposed to police. The clue is in the word. I know you may be thinking, it's not as simple as that, Brendan. Hey, I get all of that. These are complex, wicked problems. But these are the things I'd be thinking of as as being in, in that fourth quadrant. Things that aren't important and aren't urgent to the police. But may be important and may be urgent to other agencies So the way I'd be thinking about that box is How can I support you? Now I remember as an inspector um, Sometimes having little mini uh, mini bits of dialogue With um, social workers Who would be calling on a Friday evening at 5 o'clock And yeah, that is actually a thing Yeah, we've got this case at the moment Vulnerable person uh, Can't find them at the moment And uh, we're just going to pass it on to you I'd <laughs> so, no you're not <laughs> Is this a job for social services? Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, well, why are you passing it on to us? Well, we're going home now. No, you're not. No, one of you isn't. Uh, so it's not that we're not going to deal with it. It's not a no. It's a how can I support you? So that's the thing I used to say. Used to say I'm not saying no. I'm not going to say you're not going to get any support from us. But we're not taking it on. I am not taking on primary responsibility for this issue. Because it's you've been dealing with it over the past two days. The fact you've got a weekend off. You've got on called social workers, so what are they doing? Oh, they're too busy. Well, you think we're not? So it's not a no, it's a how can I support you? But I'm not going to say yes. I am not going to say I now have responsibility for this. So I was a big believer in command and control. You know, who is it that's actually got command and control at this moment in time, of this incident, of this issue? And I think that's one of the problems there. Sorry, I'm going off a right old tangent, aren't I? hey. (laughs) But then again, these are the sort of things that I think you should be thinking about as a potential police officer, challenging the system, challenging the status quo. You know, is there a reason why the police are the service of last resort for so many different things? Maybe it's because they've said yes a lot. Now, I never, I'd never say no. It would always be, it's not a no, it's not a yes. It's a how can I support you? And this while well, we're going home. Well, no, how can I support you? We want you to deal with it. No, how can I support you? Well, you're saying one of us has got to stay on. You make that decision. How can I support you? What help do you need? We would like you to take it on. No. No, we're not, ta- we're not taking it on. We are going to support you. You're going to take the lead. Didn't go down well, but at least we didn't have that primary responsibility. So that's an example there for me of it's not urgent and it's not important for the police, but it's urgent and important for someone else. All right. Hope you're still with me here. Um <laughs> So I went off on the right old tangent there didn't I it's like taking me back a little bit some of these little mini discussions I used to have with other agencies about yeah it's we're not taking responsibility for this we are not taking the lead but we will support you maybe maybe I don't know Did, have I got all of that wrong let me know let me know perhaps I'm just um perhaps I'm just a, a salty old sea dog who's uh, got, got it all wrong back in the day and has still got it wrong now I don't know I'm quite happy to be challenged Anyway, so that's the Eisenhower Matrix. That's how we can utilize, that's how we can make sense of this um, written exercise. And you're going to write about what you're going to do. So first of all, you'd say, this is the issue. Um, this is the information I have. These are the issues. This is how I'm prioritizing it. And this is what I intend to do. All right, so quite simple, folks. Once you've got that template in your head, you'll have no problem at all with that written exercise. All right, let's have a look at the time. Oh yeah, we're in good time now. So the last one, last one. The last one is the briefing. This is where they're going to give you... um, I've just done some videos on this, by the way. If you go onto YouTube, you'll see some videos on this. Go to the Blue Light um, Consultancy YouTube channel. You'll see some videos where I've actually given you a real live crime case... Well, I'm not sure if it's a real live one, but it's very similar to a lot of the ones I've dealt with in the past. And that's the one that we're going to utilise to do a briefing. It's an unconscious male who's been found with serious head injuries and been taken to hospital. There's a crime scene, there's a baseball bat nearby, there's a driving licence that may or may not be connected. uh, And there's all sorts of things to do. Now... um, all of those things to do uh, is what this briefing is all about. You've got 10 minutes to deliver a briefing. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is they just go straight into, this is what I would do. No, 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 we don't do that in the police. So we're going to utilise a briefing model from something called, an organisation called JESIP. JESIP stands for the Joint Emergency Services Interoperability Protocol. I think it's protocol, or is it policy or procedure? I think it's protocol, Uh, Joint Emergency Services Interoperability uh, Protocol, let's call it protocol. So um, where this comes from is, is to enable different emergency services to work with each other in a coordinated way for something like a flood or some other disaster and uh, the centre for the role of research and the delivery of the training around this is uh, not far from where I live in a place called Easingwald. Been there a couple of times, Easingwald in North Yorkshire. Um, Cabinet office, have got a college there. It's really, really nice if you ever get the opportunity to go there. Uh, The accommodation's nice, and the food is awesome. It's like this big country mansion in the middle of nowhere someone's got a lot of money the cabinet office um so i think it's circo that run it on behalf of the government now anyway i'm going off another tangent aren't i but they they came up with this briefing system called iimarch and what that stands for is um the information that you have the intention the method administration risk assessment communication and health and safety so i've done several videos for those on my interview course to help them develop that model, that briefing model, into fill ten minutes, and the problem they're going to have is, you know, it, it sounds like such a simple thing that I've given them as a task to think about. There's uh, unconscious male, been assaulted, baseball bat, driving license, end of a cul de sac. Yeah, what is there to talk about? But there's a huge amount to talk about. Just to give you an example from the information part, you'd be talking about what you know already and what you don't know, and what lines of inquiry you need to develop. Um, in the intention part you'd be talking about the five building blocks of criminal investigation. So those would be uh, preserving life preserving scene, preserve and secure the evidence, identify victims and witnesses and identify and secure the safe arrest of suspects. So you're not just going to go for. I'm going to go and get the bad guys. There's a lot of things that need doing first. So there's a huge amount to each one of those sections. So first of all, just as a reminder, you're talking about the information that you have, and then you're going to talk about. It is my intention to. It is my aim to do. And there's a whole load of things there you'd need to include too. Um, and then the method. You'd be talking about the method you're going to utilise to preserve life, or Preserve the life of those people who you don't know if they're involved yet. Preserve the scene. That's really important. How would you go about doing that? And how are you going to preserve and secure evidence, especially when it comes to things like passive forms of evidence, like CCTV, uh, phone work, phone records, automatic number plate recognition? How are you going to use things like that to follow the trail of breadcrumbs back to where the vehicle that was involved came from, or where did the vehicle go and where did the occupants go? how did the occupants get to the vehicle and where did the occupants of the vehicle go once the vehicle was dumped somewhere so it's awesome it's like putting together this big jigsaw puzzle and then how are you going to go about identifying victims and witnesses what resources do you need and then how are you going to go about arresting the suspects so there's a huge amount to this a huge amount to this the problem you're going to have is is condensing it all into 10 minutes uh, the administration as well. What's the command structure going to look like? Who's going to do the briefings? Who's going to do the debriefings? What arrest policy are you going to use? What policing style are you going to use? Different parts, media liaison, part. The responsibilities. And then the risk assessment. Who is going to do the risk assessment? How are you going to consider things like threat, harm and risk? And who is the threat from? Uh, who is at risk of coming to harm? Police officers, victims, witnesses, so much to consider there. Uh, Communication, just simple things like what radio channel you're going to use, who is going to be the point of contact. Um, And in terms of communication as well, uh, for members of the public or the media, what's the if asked message? Now, something I always found was really, really important in anything I dealt with. If asked, what are we going to say? So we've got a consistent message all the way through so that every officer involved knows exactly what to say. And we've not got one officer saying, sorry, can't say anything, it's a secret. (laughs) Yeah, but why have you got a crime scene here? Oh, I can't tell you. And then another officer at the other end of the crime scene says, oh yeah, yeah, it looks like an attempted murder that we're dealing with. It just really confuses members of the public, so we want a consistent if asked. And a load of other things, and a load of other things. Oh, the very last one stands for... Uh, human rights issues I'll give you an example of that might be that uh, you could have a section sixty uh, search authority that 's the power to search people without having to have reasonable grounds to suspect they 've got an offensive weapon or stolen property on them. You can just search them anyway in a certain area requires a very high uh, uh, high ranking officer 's authorization and it 's a very very intrusive power so you can 't keep that going forever you 've got to consider the rights of the individuals who live and go into that community. Otherwise, you're going to get significant community tensions, and that's something else to think about as well, the community impact assessment. Oh, there's loads of things to think about. Anyway, I've not got time to tell you any more about it, but that's, the, that's how you do the briefing, using IIMarch, and there's so many things you can put in it. Now, what do you think, folks? If you do a presentation that's got all the things in it that we've just talked about, you're going to be awesome full stop, you're going to be awesome. If you do the written exercise for the Metropolitan Police using something like the Eisenhower Matrix, then again, you're going to be awesome because you've got this template you can utilise that's going to enable you to nail down each part and determine its urgency and importance. And then when it comes to the briefing, oh my goodness, the detective sergeant or detective inspector is going to listen to you and think, hang on a minute, is this some kind of plan? This person actually sounds better than most of my detectives. You're going to be awesome, my friends. You're going to be absolutely awesome. So I hope you've found this useful. Uh, Longer than normal podcast, but um, hopefully very, very useful for you. Um, Let me know. Let me know what you think. Uh, Drop me a line. Uh, via the facebook group is the best place to do it and if you're a serving police officer and you've listened to all of this then yeah, hopefully this has been useful for you as well uh, especially the ii march because i know for those of you who are going for constable to sergeant um police scotland i think ask you to do a briefing there's many other forces as well ask you to do a briefing just to see what you're going to be like as a sergeant and ii I. march nails it every time Honestly, I've used it for so many years. Uh, nails it every time. It just has everything in it that you never ever need to cover in any kind of briefing. Now you'd have to cover everything that's in the IR March model, but it depends what the situation is. So it's going to be useful for you for your serving officer as well. All right, I'm going to leave it there, folks. I look forward to catching up with you in one of the Facebook groups. And remember, if you're a serving police officer, there's a Facebook group for you as well. It's got just under 3,000 people in at the moment. And they've got some big news about what's going to be happening with that group very soon. So I look forward to sharing that news with you. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now.